0: and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We'll continue with our hymn, Stricken, Smitten, and
1: Afflicted. Mm -hmm. Stricken, smitten, and afflicted, see him dying on the tree. Tis the Christ by man rejected, yes, my soul, tis he, tis he. Tis the long expected prophet, David's son, yet David's Lord. I see sufficient. Of it is the true and faithful word. Tell me, ye who hear him groaning, was there ever grief like his? Friends, through fear, his cause disowning, for insulting his distress. Many hands were raised to wound him, none would intervene to save. But the deepest stroke that pierced him was the stroke that justice gave. Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil grave, Here may view its nature rightly, here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed, see who bears the awful load. Tis the word the Lord's anointed, Son of man and Son of God. Here we have a firm foundation, here the refuge of the lost. Christ the rock of our salvation is the name by which we boast. Lamb of God for sinners wounded, sacrifice to cancel guilt. None shall ever be confounded who on them their hope have built.
0: Anyway, with the catechism memory work. What is the seventh commandment? You shall not steal. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not take our neighbor's money or possessions or get them in any dishonest way but help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. And uh, Bible memory work. The wicked borrows, but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. Psalm 37:21. All right, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Luther's morning prayer, I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have given me this night from all harm and danger And I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us.
1: Kids can go off to Sunday school.
0: Um, excuse me. Okay, and stay to talk about the hymn. Yeah. Uh, the thing I want to talk about with the hymn today is the fourth stanza. Uh, so last week we talked about two things. One, we talked about the substitutionary atonement, or the um. The uh, the atonement of Christ on the cross, where whereby Christ trades places with us, where He stands in the place of sinners and receives in Himself the wrath of God uh, poured out on Him in our place. That's that's what we deserve, and uh, for that we receive His righteousness. He gives He takes on our sin and gives us His righteousness. And uh, the nature, we talked about the nature of wrath on sin. Um, Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here may view its nature rightly, here its guilt may estimate. So we talked about that uh, last week. And um, we also talked through that about the pondering of Christ on the cross. Right? We, we mentioned that other hymn as well, Jesus I Will Ponder Now. Um, And that line I just read, right, that we view at the cross, at the crucifix, uh, crucifixion of Jesus, we can see the nature of Jesus' passion. And we can dwell on this and we can learn from this. And uh, so with all of that in mind, um, the idea of pondering the passion of Jesus and the idea of That passion of Jesus, uh, Him dying on the cross, being our substitutionary atonement. Then we move on to verse 4, stanza 4, which is uh, very interesting considering those things. Here we have a firm foundation, here the refuge of the lost. Christ, the rock of our salvation, is the name of which we boast. I always sing it by which we boast. I don't know why. um, that just pops into my head. Sometimes I assume I know the words to him and I look away and then I actually don't. Anyway. Uh, Lamb of God for sinners wounded, sacrifice to cancel good. None shall ever be confounded. Who on him their hope have built. So this stanza talks about that crucifixion of, of Jesus, that substitutionary atonement of Jesus. That's our firm foundation. That's that's the thing on which we stand. So we can talk about having a foundation a a place on which we stand um, in a number of ways. We can talk about it being the word of God. We can talk about it being Christ himself in a more general sense. But I I like this this image that to build our house on the firm foundation, to build our house on the rock and not on the sand, is to have the foundation of Jesus' cross. That whenever we live our lives and whenever we um, are... Growing as Christians and living as Christians, the thing that we always return to, the thing on which we stand, the central foundation um, of our lives is the cross. Uh, That's what we always come back to. Um, Whenever we sin, of course, we come back to the cross for forgiveness. Um, And even as we're growing in faith and and being sanctified, uh, those are gifts that flow from the cross. And um, even when you think about, like, so um, in the creed, right, we have the first article of the creed is about creation. The second article of the creed is about redemption. And then the third article of the creed is about sanctification. And the um, the eschaton, the last day, as well. Um, when we think about first article gifts, sometimes we'll call things first article gifts. So Luther, in his explanation of the first article of the creed, says, "I believe God has made me and all creatures. He's given me my house and home, my body and soul, and my my family and all I have, all my members. Right? He's given me my my shoes on my feet." Um, anything that we have that's a physical thing in this life it comes from from god right the beauty of his creation um, the forest the the sea the shoes on our feet our families everything this this church building everything is god's creation those are quote-unquote first article gifts right well when Jesus dies on the cross well what what happens with with sin well sin corrupts creation, right? It doesn't just corrupt our souls. It corrupts the whole of creation. The thorns and thistles come up from the ground. When Jesus redeems us from sin, he doesn't just redeem us from the corruption in our souls. He redeems creation. And the point of the second article in some ways is really to get back to the first article. um, Or you can think also of the third article as a redoing or a a new doing of the first article that on the last day in the Eschaton, when Jesus comes back again, he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. He's going to recreate, right? And so to get from one to three, to get from the corrupt creation to the new creation, we have to go through the redemption. We have to go through Jesus on the cross. And in this way, every gift flows from the cross, right? If it wasn't for God redeeming the world, including creation itself, um, we would all be destroyed. The entire creation would be destroyed. And so even when we receive um, food on our plates, even when we receive, and and this goes for both Christians and non-Christians, when we have water to drink, when we have uh, a house over our heads, when we have um, people around us who care for us and love us, all of those things actually in the, Biblical perspective come from the cross. They they flow from Jesus dying on the cross because that is the mechanism by which God has chosen to save creation. Um, otherwise, all those things would be worthless. But but God gives them to us uh, really through and from from the cross. Um, so everything, even even things we would think of. So you know, oftentimes I think we think of the cross, um, the passion of Jesus him stricken, smitten, and afflicted as that has to do with sin, that has to do with spiritual stuff. And yeah, it's the most important thing in our lives, but there's other stuff too, right? There's uh, the food that we eat, the the house that's over our head, um, so on and so forth. Things that we wouldn't really necessarily connect to the cross immediately in our heads, but when, we, when you think about it, everything is really a gift from the cross. So uh, that's what I have for the hymn today. Is that satisfactory? Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, for the catechism memory work. So you can continue to stick around for this or take them, whatever. Uh, seventh commandment. Uh, you shall not steal. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not take our neighbor's money, possessions, or get them in any dishonest way, but help him to improve and protect his positions and income. So one of the ways that uh, I think is good to talk about stealing, so I always found that this commandment, for whatever reason, and at least in my own thinking, is uh, the one of the ones that, or, or maybe the, the one that seems hardest to make contemporary applications to, um, just because I don't know a lot of people I mean, there are there are people who are out there looting stores. Um, it's just not people I know, right? So, I think it's in like uh, San Francisco or yeah, I think in San Francisco, Walgreens like just shut down all their stores because it's not worth it to keep them open anymore because um, they're just stolen from so so often. And I've heard uh, stores get stolen from have have been in. Theft has been increasing actually in our society because of uh, like self-checkouts and lack of workers. And there's not just one person now. Oh, gang, lack of prosecution. Yeah, lack of prosecution. Um, In Illinois, not to not to bash on Illinois. I mean, I know it's really easy to do, but um, (laughs) in Illinois, my sister-in-law works at. And she was telling me a while back that um, because of COVID, they weren't allowed to like, I don't know exactly what this had to do with the sickness, but because of COVID, it's a good excuse for a lot of things. Um, They were basically like not allowed to prosecute anyone for stealing anything. Um, They just like were, they were just supposed to like allow people to steal things. (laughs) Um, So anyway. Yeah, right. there, you go. there you go. So, um, and they couldn't like do anything to stop it. Uh, anyway, so stealing like has basically become legal in some places, I guess. Um, what I was going to say, though, is I think the thing that Christians struggle with more. So we always we can always kind of distinguish in some ways the commandments for Christians versus non-Christians, because Christians aren't going to be true Christians, um, aren't going to be out there committing egregious public sins right true I and this is I, I mainly hang around true Christians um, but the most of the people I hang around are not out there committing egregious public sins like literally stealing merchandise from stores uh, that is happening and so we obviously need to address that as well but uh, the thing that the way that Christians struggle with sin is normally in more private and in some ways, sneaky ways, um, right? Maybe not as egregious or public, but in more kind of ways in, in which it's not as clear as to the sinfulness of, of it. And in, in one way, that's, that's good, right? It's good that Christians aren't out there doing this, but, but we still need to recognize where we do have sin, and uh, so the way that I think the seventh commandment often applies to Christians is a word, a biblical word we can use is uh, slothfulness or sloth. Actually, yeah, we don't even really need to say fullness, just sloth um, in that. When so when we talk about vocations, right, these duties that are given to uh, all people by God. Based on their position in life, so Luther asked, you know, are you a father? Are you a mother? Are you a are you a son or a daughter? You know, employee, employer, uh, worker, pastor, layperson, right? What what are your positions in life? What are these vocations that that God has called you to? And then we we've been through the table of duties before. Based on those things, you have you have duties you need to fulfill, right? So if you're a father, you need to uh, protect your family. You need to um, lead your family in their in their devotional life. You need to um, provide for your family, right? If you have these duties, when you become lazy in them or slothful in them, um, no matter what your duties are for whatever vocation you're talking about, uh, really what you're doing is you're stealing from. The people who you are called to serve uh you're you're taking the time that god has you're taking something that god has promised to them by nature of their of their position and in life right so um god has given me to rebecca to you know to be her uh to be her head if i become slothful in that then I'm stealing from Rebecca, right? Because I'm taking something that God has promised her. And so um, I think this is slothfulness, laziness. Um, You can see this often in the workforce as well, right? Uh, That when employees become lazy there, and that has maybe a more direct economic impact, right? Because they're getting money for for work that they're not doing. Right. So um, being slothful or being lazy in the vocations that God has given us, um, that is the way I think in which Christians often struggle with the seventh commandment is is being lazy in in these vocations and stealing from what God has promised um, to give through us. So uh, anyway, that's um, I think that's one way to consider the seventh commandment that hopefully is practical for for everybody. Um, not just uh, looters in, in Portland or something like that. So, any questions or thoughts on any of that? But it's a lot more
2: common than, than people think. You know, I mean, yeah. When I was in, the, you know, we were still manufacturing, that the, the employees almost thought that, that was a right of theirs to take whatever they wanted. You know, And they would take it even the sofas, and love seats, and stuff like
0: that. <laughs> wow. It's yeah.
2: Large. I mean, they did. It, but, you know, it was it's hard for the employees, you know, even back then. Of course, we were down there right off of, uh, you know, Crumb. You know, it was
0: a pretty bad area. You yeah, know. right.
2: Because I mean, we had gun battles out in the parking lot and stuff like
0: mm. that, you know, so. Ooh, nice.
2: And they stole our cars, you know, and everything. You know. Mm. I didn't have mine stolen, but they stole a lot of them, you know. Mm. I was robbed down there, too, once, you know, so. Mm. It's
1: crazy. But crazy. It, it's, it's, it's. I mean, we had yeah. employees that lowering thing from the second
2: floor with a rope down to their friends below. Mm. There you go. I mean, it's, it, it's a lot more of it. Than yeah,
0: did. no, there is. As, and especially uh, being near a bigger city with naturally higher crime rates, um, you can definitely, like, see the impact of literal theft more, right? So... Um and a guy with a wagon running
2: down the, you know, after he had broken into the back, they could get in, some, and that that old building that used to be Memphis Furniture, they would get in mm-hmm. and take things, and they'd call me, you know, I was the first one to go down there every time the police had somebody, and I would go down there and have to say, well, did, did you give this guy this stuff? No. <laughs> yeah, right. But it was it was a whole lot of more, you know, of course, the rest of the owner and stuff didn't want to have food with all that stuff, so they sent me down there.
0: <laughs> yeah it's uh
2: one time we were chasing a guy down the street they running you know and he was running and he had some stuff and we were chasing him and i was leading the run and i thought oh i don't want i'm gonna be the second or third person
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh geez yeah no you're right it is um especially yeah like here around the big city it's more complicated, uh, or more common, um, is what I meant to say. More common. And, um, yeah, I, it's the two things, I guess. One, it is amazing the, um, pride that goes along with thievery like that. Like, uh, I, I was at Tractor Supply in Collierville one time, like, it was like last year, sometime. And, um, this, Guy came up from the back of the store with the generator, big big generator, big box, and I was checking out, and he started like bugging the cashier who was busy checking me out about how he had this return and he wanted to know if he could return it to another store or whatever, and he was being really weird, but he was like like had some big story, and this other lady came over and was like, I need a receipt, and uh, this guy was he was black and he he. Immediately when they started asking him for the receipt and stuff, he was like, "Oh, you're racist! You're racist!" You know, yeah. Of course. So, and then he like, and then he just like, ran out the door with this generator, and uh, threw it in his car, and and bent his license plate up and drove off. And uh, I'm just, I was just sitting there like,
1: yeah, now. Yeah, it's so, it's so
0: prideful. It's so, it's so utterly prideful. The other thing I thought about with the Seventh Commandment as we were talking, yeah. Um, when
2: I worked at the paint store, I had people will walk in, go to where we couldn't see them, pick up a get on the paint, come back and want their money back on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. But, yeah, we knew they'd done it because it wasn't the right kind of paint where you can get money back on. <laughs> there you go.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, people are very bold. The other thing I thought about as you're talking about the seventh commandment is all the, um, like, the uh, fraud and internet crime oh, yeah. and like scams yeah. and things that go yeah. on, and it's it is just very uh, horrendous the way that, especially people will target target like uh, elderly people and yeah. um, and whatnot, or, and people who are, you know, ignorant of, of, of things or maybe more gullible. Um, innocent. So anyway, yeah, the, I think you can see what you can see in that and with everything that we've talked about, like I said, is the pride that goes along with sin. Um, really every, as we've said before, every sin is a breaking of the first commandment because every sin is saying, I know better than God. And when you have that attitude of, I know better than God, I, I'm going to do what I want to do. Um, it does create this very bold pride in which you're willing to harm your neighbor, and not just go against God, but or not just, I mean, go against both your neighbor and God, I should say. Um, you're willing to to just completely disregard both both God and your neighbor. And uh, to to the to a true Christian, I mean, it does seem just utterly gross and and prideful. But um, that. You can see the nature of sin in that, that anyone who doesn't have Christ in their lives, it makes complete sense. It's, you know, it's just why, do, why does it matter to me? What what happens to this other person? It's just, you know, I'm just trying to live well, my well, to I'm trying to live my best life now. You know, yeah. that's the nature of sin. Why? You know, why would anything but me matter? Um, why? If I'm my own God, then I might as well serve myself. Right. So. All right. Um well after that uplifting conversation. We will play on people Yeah, right, right. Um it there was hardly anybody. They thought that
2: that's why more people the
0: there you go. Oh, man. Well.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, so there's a lot of thievery. All right. Um, let's open up to Second Chronicles 25. Uh, we're going to talk about Amaziah today, the next king in Judah. And then after, Amaziah is going to be Uzziah. And um, that works out pretty well because uh, not, not exactly... Um, on track, but when we get to Isaiah, that's the king under which um, Isaiah begins his ministry. So when we're preach, when I, when I'm preaching on Wednesday nights here, um, and we're going through the book of Isaiah over the next couple weeks, we're at least going to have some overlap with the kings and the kingdom of of judah that isaiah is prophesying to and then what isaiah's prophecy is saying to them so that'll be very nice um after we finish up amaziah so we'll see if we can get through amaziah in the next 20 minutes or so i'm not sure if we'll be able to but that would be good that way we can go ahead and get get on to um the kingdom that isaiah is is in when he's prophesying okay so um Amaziah uh, is one of these kings that's a mixed bag. So he starts out good and then he ends up evil. Um, and that is actually following right in the footsteps of his father, Joash. So you can again see um, family patterns developing throughout the kings uh, that there are These uh, ways in which I think blood is very powerful in people's lives, that it, it's not, it's never really surprising when a son does something very similar to what his father did, right? Um, and so Joash starts out good and ends up evil. Uh, Amaziah starts out good and also ends up evil. Um, so you can see that in verse two, that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart, right? So he. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord to begin with, and then, he, but his heart was not loyal, so he would he will turn aside, as we'll see. Okay, so in um, verses three to four, uh, Amaziah's first act as king is to punish those who murdered his father, and there's this interesting uh, thing that happens here, where the author of Second Chronicles is careful to point out that he did not murder the children of the murderers. So whenever he avenged his father's death, he did not avenge uh, them to the point of murdering also their children. Now, why does it say that? Because, I mean, I think on the surface you would hear that and say, well, why would he do that to begin with? Like, why would he?
2: Well, they're going to grow up. And-
0: yeah, right. So we can see how there's like a nature of sin that would want to do that that would like be angry yeah steve he probably wants a future army right yeah he he does want a future army that's that's definitely true um i think what's going on here is that the standard thing to do in the ancient world would be to murder not just if you think about like Jezebel or you think about Athelia, uh, then you remember how they're careful not just to, whenever they murder some people, they want to murder everyone, right? They want to they kill the whole lot, wipe them out. Like that is the sinful mind. And that was what was common in the ancient world, especially in these royal families, um, is that whenever there was an avenger of blood, so if you go back and you read in Deuteronomy and in... Um, Joshua, then you get these this language of these avengers of blood that if someone kills someone, then that per a person in that the the victim's family can go and avenge the death of um, that person. So it was common in the ancient world, common in the kind of Canaanite world, to have these avengers of blood. So Amaziah does that, but he doesn't do it in the way that it's normally done. He only takes the punishment out on the actual murderers. And uh, he. this is what is right in the sight of the Lord. Um, and so it was written in the book of the law. Um, and this is from, let me just check the cross-reference here. I know it's in Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy twenty four sixteen. That the father shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall the children be put to death for their fathers, but a person shall die for his own sin. And so uh, anyway, the the insight here is that God's law, whenever God establishes his law in the Old Testament, it is a just law. It's a good law, um, because what what was going on in the Old Testament was basically that there was a vigilante justice system. Right? There wasn't there weren't good government courts that would be fair and just to, to people whenever someone was wronged, whenever someone was murdered. Right? Um, you know, today in our courts we have like different degrees of murder and there's like from you know, ranging from manslaughter, like accidental manslaughter, to you know, first degree murder. And uh, the courts take those factors into consideration when they're dealing out the punishment for people? Well, in like the Canaanite world, there was just vigilante justice, right? Um, like we said, they would just uh, go and and kill not just the person who killed their family member, but they would go and murder like the whole family. And so um, one of the things that there's a couple things that you can see. One, like, is this this verse, which is quoted here, um, that God says you're not allowed to put to death children for the sins of their fathers, or fathers for the sins of their children. Um, You also get verses in God's law like um, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And oftentimes this gets confusing because in the New Testament, Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, and tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, uh, turn the other cheek. And the thing that to recognize is one: there's a distinction between what we'd call the left-hand kingdom and right-hand kingdom. There, that when 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 God gives that law in the Old Testament, He's giving a civil law for the people of Israel. Like how are they to govern themselves as a as a nation state? How are they to execute justice? The other thing to recognize is that. When God says an eye for an eye in the Old Testament, he's moving from a system where people were giving out more than an eye for an eye, right? Whenever someone was wrong, they would uh, try and make that wrong right by doing more and more wrong, right? So um, it wasn't just and it it wasn't fair. And so what God is doing in the Old Testament when he says an eye for an eye is he's limiting and putting a... Putting rules and parameters on the vigilante justice system that existed. Um, in the same way, he'll like, the, the other thing he does is, um, establish, if you go and read in Joshua where the tribes are getting their allotments of land, he establishes refuge cities where if there's an avenger of blood who's out to get someone and the person, it was like accidental manslaughter then the person who committed the manslaughter can run to a refuge city and can be judged by a court there. So God establishes these refuge cities as as another parameter to put an end to this kind of uh, vigilante justice where people were just being um, killed for, for, for something that they didn't do. Yeah, for no reason. And so um, anyway, so that's all just a very interesting thing. But um, the... The takeaway is that, so one, Amaziah does good in following, instead of following the normal course of action, he follows God's law in this, okay? So the next thing that happens is that uh, Edom, uh, border country to Judah, there's a uh, war that breaks out. And uh, Amaziah thinks that they're not going to be able to go to war if they don't have more men. And so his immediate reaction is to go and get more men from Israel uh, up north. And he does so. And he pays a um, hundred talents of silver for this. Um, he, he pays uh, a price of a uh, hundred talents of silver, which is a lot of silver, and um, a hundred talents is is a very, very large sum. It's, uh, I think, like four tons of silver, basically. It, and so um, when he does this, he this is all accomplished. He does this. He, he hires these men from Israel who are warriors. And then um, a man of God, this is verse 7, a man of God came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you. For the Lord is not with Israel, right? And you can remember what's going on in Israel at this time. Um, Israel has all evil kings, right? And uh, the Lord is not with them, not with any of the children of Ephraim. Um, But if you go, be gone, be strong in battle. Even so, God shall make make you fall before the enemy, for God has power to help and to overthrow. So basically what this prophet says is that you let the people of Israel, the army of Israel that you hired, you let them go back to Israel, you go fight Edom on your own. And if you do, you'll have success. If you don't, if you don't trust in in the Lord to help you, but instead trust in the men of Israel um, who are wicked and evil, then you're going to fall. And so again, Amaziah is faithful. Um, And even though this means losing the investment he made, right? He doesn't get the money back. <laughs> um, he lets the army of Israel go back, and uh, so the f- one thing that happens there is that, and you can in verse uh, ten, they they go home. He discharges the troops, and they leave in great anger. So that tells you something about the men of Israel is that they wanted to battle, they wanted to fight. They're they're uh, these are people who like war. They're warmongers, mongers, um, which is an ungodly thing right god god will allow wars and he will send there are just wars and he will fight for his people um in a just war but uh he does not want us to be warmongers he doesn't want us to seek out war right so the people of israel are warmongers anyway um but so so the first thing to notice here is that when amaziah does this again it takes great faith to be uh, otherworldly like this, right? The world would say, just like the world would say um, that he should uh, kill off the children of the people who murdered his father, uh, he follows the Lord's command instead. Just like the world would say he needs at least 400,000 men to defeat the army of Edom, um, he follows the prophet and... and uh, only does it with the 300,000 of Judah and, and sends the Israelites back. And a, this takes a special courage, right? To um, It takes a special courage to do something like that, especially when it means obviously admitting that you are wrong, right? Uh, to And you can see that with the money, right? Um, it would be very, very hard, I think, for someone in that situation to say, you know, I'm going to give up four tons of silver just to follow the command of the Lord. Right. That's a that's a very hard thing to do. And so it's pretty amazing uh, faithfulness that he shows there to do that. So, of course, what happens in his faithfulness is God blesses him and uh, they are. Successful in their military victory over Edom, um, they overthrow the city and um, they they capture uh, one of the cities. They um, they capture Selah and they name and he names it Joktheel. Uh, what verse is that? That might be in Second uh, Kings instead of Second Chronicles. Um, yeah, I think that's that part's recorded in Second Kings. I read both of them and I can't remember which part is where. But anyway, okay, so uh, they're successful. God blesses the faithfulness. Um, And that's a good message for us as well, is that whenever people are bold to obey God's law, even if it means giving up personal gain, there is a blessing that comes along with that. Um, one place I see this pretty often today is in like modern families who become Christian. So a lot of like the, the way that the world teaches families to be today is to be very non-traditional. It's to um, be very egalitarian, right? Where the man and woman are completely equal and completely interchangeable and it's just marriage is supposed to just be a social contract. There's not supposed to be a head and a follower or a head and a helper. As the Bible describes, um, male head, headship is, you know, completely contra to contrary to um, feminism today. And so modern families are taught to be feministic and they're also taught to despise children, right, with abortion and um, – and with birth control and with all these things, uh, the modern view of the family is that a man and woman are gonna get married and they're gonna be complete equals and they should try and avoid children because population control or something like that. And uh, they should go and make as much money as possible. Um, They should both go and work and they should both have very successful careers and make as much money as possible. And then if they wanna have kids, they can wait until they're like, you know. 38 maybe and have like one child like that's the that's the world's image of a modern family well oftentimes what i've seen is these kind of modern families um, who are taught that um, and it's not their fault that's just what the world teaches but they become christian and they start to rethink some things they start to think maybe we don't need two highly successful careers to make as much money as possible maybe it would be better to have maybe a little less money and more children because children are a blessing from the Lord and uh, bring more joy into life than pure money does. Um, and maybe it would be better to value like, our time together more than it would be to like, value our careers. And maybe we should order our lives in a way in which the male is the head and the female is the helper Because that way life flows better and things work better because it's according to God's design. And when all that happens, like when people make this shift in their lives, um, it is amazing. You can see the blessings that come to that family. Right. And it it's just because it's working within God's design. Right. So uh, when these families are blessed with children. Right. They that's a that is a blessing. Like that is a time to rejoice in, and 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 a good thing for them, right? Children are are a blessing from the Lord, uh, as as the Bible says in Psalm 127, 128. So anyway, that's just one. Um, that was like the example I thought of of like people give up something to be faithful to the Bible, and then they're blessed for it, right? Um, in the same way that Amaziah does. So that I mean that could apply to any number of uh, other. Situations in which we give up, right? It it all go. It it comes down to like what Jesus says about gaining the world and selling your soul. You can either you can either sell your soul and gain the world, or you can forget the world and you can save your soul. Um, And it's actually even in this world, it's more pleasant to have your soul saved than it is to gain the world. Right? You think you're going to be comforted by gaining the world, but you never are. But you are comforted by by saving your soul. So uh, that is how it goes. All right. So then in verses uh, 14 and to 16, um, this is Amaziah's downfall. And the thing you can see here is how quickly a good thing can be ruined by temptation. So... This is hard to imagine, I think, because it's not a temptation that we normally face. But basically what happens is he goes, they they capture um, the Edomites and um, they go to the temple there, the false god temple, and they see it and they begin worshiping, right? So they, he brought the gods of the people of Sire, um, the Edomites, and set them up to be his gods and bowed down before them and burned incense to them. So this is a major temptation for them is if you put yourself in Amaziah's shoes back in the ancient world when there's the idea of um, polytheism, of there being multiple gods is not at all weird at all to anyone. Um and he had seen the success of the Edomites. And he goes down and he captures them. And he sees their gods, these these false idols, in a temple. And he starts to think to himself, you know, my god's pretty good, but it's not like I couldn't use some of the others, too. <laughs> right? That's kind of what – that's probably the thought process, um, is that he sees – that um, there are these other gods that are options for him. And in our modern world, that's like, I think that might be weird to us. Like Christians generally aren't like tempted to go and worship Allah. You can see it in some Christian denominations, like the more like liberal denominations that are more and more on this like universalism thing, you know, where they're like everyone's saved and, Really, we all, you know, oh, Jews, Christians, and Muslims really worship the same God, more or less, um, that kind of idea. Um, so sometimes you see that. But but I'd say that, you know, more often our false gods today are, are things like money and time. And um, so if you kind of put it in that context, that how quickly someone might go astray to gain a few more bucks or to... Um, save some time on something, right? Uh, anyway, it's just amazing how quickly he can go from being so faithful, giving up four tons of silver to be faithful to the Lord. And then he sees this one thing that tempts him and he just falls for it, hook, line, and sinker, right? So um, this is why Paul says, be careful if you think you're strong, lest you fall, right? We, we always need to be on guard that the, whatever the temptation may be, like um, that you might see something and then fall for it very quickly. So, uh, that's, that's how Amaziah becomes unfaithful and that's where we're at time. So I'm going to stop there and then we'll close with a word of prayer. But before we do that, are there any questions or comments? Oh, about the feminism thing? Yeah, um, it's funny. I don't know why uh, feminists are still uh, saying things about like the how men make more than women do and uh, all that kind of, they're kind of like arguments about stuff like that because it's evidentially not true anymore. More women graduate from college than men do Women, if you actually look at the statistics on the salaries and stuff, women make more money than men do. Um, and it's the same. It's the same thing with like uh, the um, all the stuff about like discrimination based on uh, race or based on sexual orientation and all of that. That these the big company, all the all the big companies are hiring less qualified people generally so that they can fulfill all these requirements of of diversity and inclusion and um, the I mean it's a it's basically I mean it boils down to Marxism it's just a it's a tactic within within communism but uh,
2: yeah,
0: yeah but that's that's evidently not true when you actually look at what
2: it the, on the salaries what are.
0: In that, you know, yeah, right. You can you can flex the numbers any way you want, but it's uh, anyway. It's just evidentially not. It's not true that that that's the case. But um, yeah, it's the same thing. It's like there are still people complaining that only white men get good jobs, and it's like that's that's simply not true. Like it's actually harder for a white man to get a job today. Like. And you can see – and same with like entrance into like the Ivy League colleges. Like they've put a cap on like white men and Asians being – like being accepted into Ivy League universities because um, statistically those are the two highest percentages of people who get in. So they said they're not allowed to get in anymore because we need to hire – we need to accept more women and more people of of other races. Uh And so it's not based on – qualifications at all anymore it's based on on uh, giving completely giving into the whole Marxist scheme but then they still complain about it they continue to it's like that's why I don't get yeah right it's always something I mean whatever right. it can't just be based on like pure qualifications so. Anyway,
2: well, they got to have the quota a certain amount of this,
0: these, these
2: people, yeah. All right. then are up to a certain amount of the other. Yep, yep. And whether they're qualified or not,
0: it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. They're just fulfilling quotas, but right. it's crazy that the people still complain that like they're being discriminated. I'm like, well, no, right, you're getting right, a special, you're getting fight. special treatment. Yeah. What do you mean you're being discriminated against? Mm-hmm. Anyway, all right, let's close it with a word prayer. only Father, we thank you for all that you give us, we pray that you would um, help us to be faithful to your word above all else, that we would not sell our souls to gain the world, uh, but that we would uh, forsake the world so that we may save our souls. We pray that you would bless our worship today in spirit and in truth, and we pray that you would uh, bless the ministry here at Beautiful Savior. We pray this all in your son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.